Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in Lake Kick on the air. It is Thursday night, July 15th, year of our Lord, 2021, jam-packed wall-to-wall. We got media days coming up next week. We got a big weekend on tap, though. I don't know that most people realize quite how big this weekend is going to be, not just for Lake Kick, but it's a massive recruiting weekend. We're going to give you a preview of like half a dozen kids. I mean, big-time kids, and we got intel on each and every one. So I'm going to get to that. We have got numbers through the roof around here. So as we often tend to do around here, I just want to lead it off with another thank you. Our social numbers are through the roof at Lake Kick Josh, by the way, but also YouTube subscriptions are spiking in a time of year where it should be down. Uh, Podcast listens are absolutely through the roof at a time of year where they should be down. So thank you for that. So a big recruiting weekend coming up. I'm going to dive very deeply into that in just a second. Also, we've got games that I've got circled, not even the whole season. I intended to make it through the season I only made it through week four and I was already like five or six games deep so I think I'll do it in a three-part series the first quarter to third of the season tonight I got some circle games and I'm going to tell you why and some of them are off the radar I'm not necessarily talking about what you would call the biggest games in the country transfer portal rankings they're finalized and we have taken a couple of deep dives on this you guys have really really ingested that and you love it more than I thought you would. So I'm going to talk about the final rankings tonight. And now that we're kind of setting rosters and we know who's going to have hoomst for the season, we can talk about some takeaways, some overarching final takeaways from the transfer portal. I mean, Southern Cal took in nine kids, seven of them rated in the top 100 in our final rankings, just to give you an idea of how quickly teams can overturn with this thing now. And the state of Mississippi, I'm going to put it to you like this, and we'll talk about it at the end of the show could be the most interesting state in college football this year. I think Texas could give them a run for their money. Uh, the state of, well, it's not, it's two states. The Carolinas will be very fascinating, but the state of Mississippi. And then I'm just going to leave it, and we'll get to it at the very end. But thank you so much. Hey, I've, I've given a couple of shout-outs, or we have, rather, on the show uh, the past week or two to high school staffs. And I love hearing from the high school staff. So you guys, let me know if you're listening. I'll be happy to give your program a shout out on the air. But I'll tell you what also happens. It's happened a lot this week in particular. College staffs reach out everywhere from head coaches to recruiting staffers to coordinators and everything in between. Normally, it's in the Twitter DMs. And for obvious reasons, we don't shout them out on air. But it's always... It feels good. It's validating to get you know a DM from a recruiting coordinator or a director of player personnel or a head coach. All of these have happened this week saying, thank you for what you said. Or, and here's what helps also, you're a little off base in what you said. Let me set you straight. Let me correct you. Here's the information you need to know. Uh, that's the way we get a lot of our information, just full disclosure. It's from coaching staffs. And the way we do it is not the traditional call the SID, set up a traditional interview. Sometimes it's just coaches reaching out. And I always appreciate that because we want to be as accurate as we can. How are you accurate with an opinion? Well, 
you have the most logic-based reasoning behind the opinion. How do you get the logic-based reasoning? You go to the sources. So we try and give you source-based information as much as we can. Uh, but I appreciate that. Twitter, Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Hit them up, follow them. Let's dive into the show tonight. Several big commitments on tap this weekend. I mean, it starts tomorrow, Friday, and it goes all the way through Sunday. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, at least half a dozen that we know about. Many of these are going to be on CBS Sports HQ, but many major commitments you need to pay attention here. Let's dive right in and give you the latest intel. So Friday... Katron Allen is going to commit. This is this cycle, 2022 cycle. He's a four-star running back. He's currently at IMG Academy. Now, while a lot of these guys are in Bradenton at IMG Academy, geography is important. It's important in this recruitment, but it's important in general because most of those kids are not from Florida. They may be from all over the country. They're just in Florida right now. Well, that's the case with Katron Allen. He's a Virginia kid. I was talking to Wolfong the other day. We were doing the Wolfong whip around. I said, Steve, is geography important here? He said, yeah, it is. And as a result, Penn State looks to be the overwhelming favorite. I got a comparison from someone else, not named Steve Wilfong. He may or may not agree with this. The player comparison was Mark Ingram. Heisman Trophy winning quarterback or running back, rather, for Alabama, 5'11", about 220 pounds, lower center of gravity, good bouncing off initial contact. He's a a plus pass catcher, will probably improve more at the college level. But Penn State, it's important to remember, we were just talking about this, it seems like yesterday, already added Nicholas Singleton, who I think is the best running back in the country for this cycle. But if he's not, this cat's also in the running. And so this would be really, really good for James Franklin and his staff there because it shows their ability to sell the running back by committee approach, which used to be a turnoff for kids. And now it's not. Ironically, you know, you think about Mark Ingram, since I made that player comparison, he won the Heisman at Alabama and he had to carry a bulk of the load, but not the whole load because Trent Richardson was there. And then it was Yeldon and Lacey. And they, they've always at Alabama, aside from the Derrick Henry year, always had those one, two or one, two, three headed monsters in the backfield. And that hadn't always been the case. But these days, guys are smarter and they understand the shelf life for running backs. That position is shorter. And the more you can go to a program that features you while not taking all the tread off your tires at the college level, the better off you'll be. And this is a testament to Penn State staff. If they do land uh, Catron Allen, which I believe they will, it's a testament to them being able to sell that vision. It, it, it doesn't matter if it makes sense if you can't sell the vision to the guy. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. That's tomorrow. You don't have to wait long on that. Uh, also tomorrow, Gunnar Givens is a four-star offensive lineman. Virginia Tech leads here. He's 6'5", 270 pounds. He's out of Virginia. Again, the Hokies, the crystal ball favorite. They are quietly putting together at Virginia Tech their best class since 2018. You know a lot of heat has been thrown their way, but let's give credit where it's due, too this would continue that momentum. It would be a really, really big pickup for him. And so just keep an eye on that because that's also a Friday commitment. And again, if, if this happens, and I would lean Virginia Tech for uh, Gunnar Givens, that continues on that best class since 2018. That's, I mean, imperative for obvious reasons, imperative for Justin Fuente. Then we roll on to Saturday. Uh, this is a big one. We got multiple big ones on Saturday. Let's start with Dalen Everett, four-star corner. He's six one. He's about 185 pounds. He's a prototype at that position. Everyone loves him. Everyone, he's the kind of guy that you put him in the mold and then you remove him and you say, all right, this is what I want at the corner position. He's at IMG too. So obviously a lot of these big names are at IMG. This is a Clemson, North Carolina battle. It has been. I talked to Will Fong this last week and he echoed the same sentiment that a lot of other people say. And that is, if it's going to be North Carolina, they probably had ground to make up in the last week. Now, a lot of times what happens 
is these recruitments go quiet in the last week, and it's tougher to get intel as the decision gets closer, as it should be, I guess. Uh, so th- this is a this is a the kind of recruitment that North Carolina put themselves on the map with winning last year. Clemson is no stranger to winning big recruiting battles either. So keep an eye on this one because that is uh, that's a big time player, Dalen Everett. Also on Saturday, Keon Saab. Clemson's in this one too. This is the number seven overall player in the country. He's six two, about two hundred pounds. It's it's a situation where you got a safety sort of linebacker could be one of those hybrid players at the next level. Clemson's in this, Texas A&M's been in this, Georgia's been in this, and this one's, man, this is fascinating to watch. I mean, this is going to be one that you'll probably see headlines about on all the major websites. Keon Saab commits Saturday. I don't have a ton of intel on him. Strikingly, that is the most high-profile player here, aside from one I'm about to mention, and he's the one I have the least amount of information about. I mean, this has been like a really knife-fight-type battle, and I don't think it's decided even right now. And Trayon Webb, is a 2023 guy that's committing on Saturday. He's out of Jacksonville. And there's a school I'm about to mention here with him, and it's not going to be the last time I mention him. Oklahoma is trending with Trayon Webb. Now, he's an athlete. He can play a number of different positions. He's out of Jacksonville. And so that shows you the eastern reaching effect of Oklahoma's recruiting tentacles now. But they can also reach with the the other tentacle on the other side of the octopus, not to be confused with octopi, which is what happens when you have multiple octopuses, They can go all the way out to the West Coast, too. How do I know that? They've already done it. But if you don't believe it, let's just pay attention to what may happen on Sunday. This is the biggest one on the entire list. It's almost like we structure it this way. 2023 five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson will announce, at least verbally, his commitment on Sunday. He is out of Los Angeles, California. And wouldn't you know it, the Oklahoma Sooners are the overwhelming crystal ball favorite for Malachi Nelson right now. This would be, if the Sooners land Malachi Nelson, this would be the third cycle out of the past five that Lincoln Riley has landed a five-star quarterback. Now, if you see the way the game is evolving, you understand why that's such a big deal. You had Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams this last cycle, and this would just continue that trend. And I'll tell you another trend it would continue. It would continue that trend of USC and West Coast football fans in general watching another one of their homegrown talents leave the West Coast to go to Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. We've been watching that for a while now. So these are all happening this weekend. It's a really, really big recruiting weekend. It starts Friday. It goes all the way through Sunday. And those are just the announcements we know about. Remember, it's July. We have expected this recruiting wave for a while. We have it now. So let's keep an eye on all those. All right, man, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. My nose itches. So the games this year that a lot of people have circled as games of the year, we've spoken about. Uh, I have spoken about them to you. You have given me your feedback. I have seen all the big sort of what we call marquee spotlight games. And we look forward to those. Don't get me wrong. However, there are games aside from the ones that are going to be titled games of the year, games of the week that bear close watching. So here's what I wanted to do. We'll probably do three parts of these. This will be part one. Colin, here's your end point. How about some games of the year to circle in the first quarter to maybe the first third of the season? Again, these are not maybe the biggest games in the country, although in some cases they will be that given weekend. But these are games that I'm excited about for a number of different reasons. This is not an exhaustive list. So not every game I'm excited about can I fit into this segment. But let's start in week two. 
How about Oregon at Ohio State? Now, this one's obvious. This is going to be one that everyone labels the game of the week. Ironically, it may not even be the game that yours truly is at that week for reasons I'll mention in just a second. Think about the matchup here. The matchup everyone will be talking about is Ohio State's wide receivers against Oregon's defensive backs. I've talked to at least one staffer uh, that thinks that's a, a glaring mismatch that Oregon's going to be ill-equipped to you know, battle back from early in the year. And so that's going to be one of those popular talking points that has some merit to it. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I'm also excited to look at is both quarterbacks. I mean, the quarterback position at both schools has a level of uncertainty about it from, let's say, the experience or the proven experience standpoint. Now, Anthony Brown's played a lot of football. Not a whole lot of it at Oregon, but he's played a lot of football. He's a transfer guy. He's been around forever. He's like drawn AARP mail by now. But we don't know what to expect fully from him this year. I think Oregon's wide receiver core is easily the best Mario Cristobal's had, but I also think Ohio State's wide receiver core is certainly the best in the country this year, much less the best that Ryan Day and Brian Hartline have had. But my question also is, with all that immense talent, if C.J. Stroud is who we think he'll be, this is the kind of game where they'll pop and they'll shine and we'll look at it and say, how in the world is anyone going to beat them this year? Could be one of those games. We'll see. But remember, take this in the proper context because a game I'm not going to list that also bears close watching on this same day is Washington at Michigan. So you could be taking, for argument's sake, let's, let's pretend Southern Cal is going to be competitive, but let's say Washington and Oregon two of the very best that the Pac-12 has to offer this year. They're both headed to the Big Ten on the same day. This is off the heels of UCLA playing LSU in week one. We could be coming out of week two, and you could have already left the Pac-12 for dead, or you could be saying the Pac-12 is the early surprise story in college football this year. The second game I want to talk about is not in a conference period. It's, in, it's a cross-conference rivalry game, the Cyhawk Trophy. I've always thought I could come up with a better trophy name for this, but I digress. This is one of my favorite games of the whole year. I have bias here. I'm an Iowa State guy. Didn't grow up there. Just love everything about Iowa State. Iowa State has not beaten Iowa, it feels like, in several administrations. Uh, Matt Campbell has not beaten Iowa. He is, what is he, 0-5. Didn't get to play the game last year. He'll be favored this year. Iowa State welcomes in Iowa in week two. One of the things I like about this rivalry game is it's earlier in the year as opposed to a vast majority that are later in the year. This could be the biggest game ever in this rivalry. And I'll tell you what really could put the capper on that. If Iowa beats Indiana in week one, which is a very losable game, but if they win that game and Iowa State merely takes care of business against Northern Iowa, these two will be ranked as high as they've ever been ranked, at least comparatively when they face each other in week two. You add in the fact that you get back the full stadium effect, and it's always just an insane environment anyway. I've always watched this thing from afar and thought, man, that's crazy. And I grew up in the SEC, so everyone brags about SEC environments, and they should. They're incredible. But I've always watched this one and said, that's no joke either. Look forward to trying to find that out this year myself. How is this not a one-possession game, though? Where you look at the quarterback situations, you look at the styles of play, you look at the offensive personnel in general, and you think about how, how tense this game is. Look at my fist. How tense this game is. How is this not a one-possession game? If someone's not minus four turnovers, how is this not a game that you are watching with two and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter with the outcome still in doubt? This is one that I think everyone should have circled. Again, Iowa State's going to be favored here. Iowa State under Matt Campbell, 0-5. Now, they know that stat. 
it's tattooed on everyone's forehead in Iowa, but maybe outside of that small bubble, maybe you don't know that. Well, you do now. Let me go to week four. I'm going to talk about a couple of games in week four, but the one that's going to be the headliner, I'm going to save for last. There's another one that's not going to be the headliner, but I think when the dust settles at the end of the day, it could very well be the one that everyone's talking about, and that is Arkansas versus Texas A&M. This is obviously an SEC Western Division game. They don't play it on home campuses, though. They play this one in Arlington, Texas. Notre Dame-Wisconsin's the same day. I'm going to talk about that game in a second, but this is the first true test for A&M, or let me put it this way. If A&M has already been pushed to the brink before this, they got bigger problems than Arkansas. Having said that, this is week four, okay? Arkansas has already played Texas. Maybe they've already lost a game. Who knows? But this one right here is the opener of conference play, and we got a lot of things that we expect to know about Texas A&M. You think the running back stable, it could be the best in the conference. The wide receiver stable should easily be the best they've had there so far. Haynes King, while maybe Preview Magazine culture thinks if you lose Kellen Mond, you have to take a step back. Aggie fans think, you know, maybe we upgrade from good to very good at the quarterback spot. Point being, this is where you start to get the answers. You, all this summer, I'm not going to say the O word, this summer period, that's what the talking's for. SEC Media Day next week, that's what the talking's for. But this is where you start to find it out. And I'm just, I'm telling you, no matter where you see Arkansas ranked in the preseason, it's, it's going to be a sum greater than the individual parts product that Sam Pittman puts on the field. Not much different than last year. And I also want to tell you this. The difference between ranking and power rating teams. A lot of people are going to rank Arkansas low, lower than a power rating should have them, because they're going to look at their schedule, and they're going to say, well, this is the toughest schedule in the country, which it probably is. And they're going to say, well, I expect them to struggle to make a bowl game. Well, that's all well and good, but that's relative to schedule. If I took that same Arkansas team and had them play an AAC schedule, and I predicted them to go 9-3, and three, well, would I all of a sudden rank them higher? I shouldn't. The team is what the team is. So my point is, don't underestimate Arkansas. Uh, this should be a battle. Uh, this is not one where I think A&M's pulling away and they're resting starters in the fourth quarter. Fourth game, one of the first ones you'll see all year. It's a Friday night, week one affair. It's on the road for North Carolina. They're going to Virginia Tech. I'm giving consideration to go into this game. It's going to be an intense atmosphere. I think people are going to underestimate what that atmosphere's impact on this game will be. Nervous spot for North Carolina. Every time that you watch a, a shuttle take off, for example, it looks like it should. You know, in the control center, everything is operational. All those computer monitors have the correct readings on them. But until you get that thing all the way up into space and those rocket boosters detach and, you know, then the rocket, they take over. They turn over control from Houston. It, then you take, your, you take your seat and you lean back a little bit and the white knuckles leave and, okay, we're comfortable. I feel the same way about North Carolina. I know that's graphic. I know it's vivid. I feel the same way about North Carolina. There is a lot in place. Feels like they got the best opportunity they've had in a while. Proven commodity at quarterback. We think they're upgraded defensively. I, I do, at least. And while they have some pieces to replace it, running back, for example, I feel really good about Ty Chandler. And I also just trust the offensive staff in general. But having said that, you don't know. It's college football. You just you close your eyes and you throw it out there in week one and you hope the product is what it's supposed to be. It's very hard to start fast in week one, let alone on the road in front of people who have not been in a packed stadium for two years now and a place where even if you don't expect Virginia Tech to do a lot this year, they don't know that in week one. 
It's hard to play in week one because everybody's a contender in week one. You get max effort from everyone in week one. So that one, I think that's going to be a sight to see. Purely for spectacle purposes alone, if you don't even know how to spell football, that's going to be a sight to see. And the last one is in week four. It's in Chicago. It's Notre Dame versus Wisconsin. Plan on being at this game. The expectation, I can tell you now, is going to be the winner of this game gets slingshotted right into the playoff conversation. I don't know that it's that simple, only because both of them have losable games the next week. Wisconsin, I think, goes on to play Michigan. Notre Dame, they play Cincinnati the next week. Cincinnati's off a bye. In fact, Colin, listen to this stat, because it's going to sound like I make it up. This begins a stretch for Notre Dame, where six out of their next seven opponents have a bye before they play the Irish. You heard me, right? So ridiculous, I have to say it twice. Six out of seven opponents, there's a stretch in Notre Dame's schedule, where six out of seven opponents in a row have buys before they play Notre Dame. It almost doesn't seem fair. It almost seems like college football may not be set up for Notre Dame to just automatically succeed. My point is, nothing is decided after this game, but it certainly is pivotal, and we get the old Jack Cohn, formerly known as Jack Doan on this show, against his old school storyline, if you're into the storylines. So those are a lot of circle games that at least I have circled. And if you don't have them circled, I'm going to need a good explanation as to why. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Switching gears to the transfer portal. The transfer portal rankings are now complete. At 24-7 Sports, we underwent this entirely new feature over the past several months, the transfer portal rankings. I was in the meeting when the idea was born. I'm not going to go as far as to claim the idea, but I think it is a good idea. And I also think the approach we took is probably the best approach. Have several versions of these rankings, and I'll tell you why it's important. There is no start and stop on the transfer portal necessarily. There's not a date You know, like on signing day, we know when that is. Well, we don't know really when the wave's going to come for the transfer portal. We can guess. But my point is it starts before spring, and then you have spring. Then you have the second wave of transfers. And it's important to just keep getting feedback. You know, you got a lot of guys that transfer, and you got them ranked high. And then we hear from their college staffs in some cases, this isn't what we expected to get. Damaged goods here. Injuries not healed from, from the neck up, he's a mess. Whatever the feedback is. And then you adjust guys accordingly, and you can't do that if you just put out one set of rankings. So we updated these, and feedback was key on it. And I observed the process, and I believe in the rankings. So I'll endorse them. Let me say that. First takeaway, Georgia saw some movement here. Georgia's defensive backfield, if you were to go into the spring, knowing what we only knew in the spring, you would have said, oh, boy, man, they're going to try and beat Clemson with a bunch of kids out there. Talented kids, but kids nonetheless. 
Well, then Tyke Smith comes in to man that nickel spot by way of West Virginia. He was, I think, 13th. We bumped him up to 9th. I say we. I'm not on this committee. So if they bomb, don't blame me. I just want the credit with none of the blame. Again, that's all I've ever asked for. But Tyke Smith goes from 13 to 9. And I'll also tell you another thing to keep an eye on. Darian Kendrick, who was the former five-star kid, defensive back at Clemson, transfers to Georgia. Uh, He is ranked, where we got him? We got him at sixth. Now, remember, he had some off-field issues. Last time we spoke, they were still in doubt. Well, those have been taken care of now, so he looks good to go this year. And so you got two big defensive back pieces figured out there. Also, Eric Gilbert sits at number three, so it may very well be that you call Georgia the winner of this thing. they got to contend with USC and Oklahoma for that title, but they've been a big winner here. USC, speaking of the Trojans, they know exactly what they're doing. USC said, well, um, we got a lot to replace. I saw Chris Hummer actually did a feature with Spencer Harris, who's the director of player personnel at Southern Cal about a month ago. He said, it's not like we, we rang in the new year and said, all right, happy new year. What's our new year's resolution? Let's take everyone we can from the transfer portal. It just, those were not his words. I'm paraphrasing his thoughts, but it's just a unique confluence of events. We try and use that word at least once a week. And they had to take a lot of guys. Well, they did. Southern Cal took nine and counting guys from the transfer portal. Seven of them are ranked in our top 100. You got a couple of running backs that should see playing time this year. You got a couple of wide receivers, a tight end. I mean, they got a lot of guys on offense alone that you should watch them in week one and find yourself saying, oh, look, all the transfer portal guys are on the field. Southern Cal did what they needed to do. They understand. The coaching staff's not stupid. They know what time it is. And so all of those guys should be in some shape, form, or fashion impact players this year. There's a name that I don't think any of you know, or let me put it in a finer point. If you do know this name, hats off to you. You are as diehard as it gets. Samori Torre is my guess on the pronunciation, but they know how to pronounce his name at Montana because the guy has amassed 2,500 receiving yards the past three years. So Samori Torre goes from Montana to Nebraska. Now, all the transfer portal talk about Nebraska has obviously been Wandell Robinson leaving Lincoln and going back home to Kentucky to play for the Wildcats. Well, they quietly filled that void potentially with what could turn out to be the number one receiving option on their team, but it's a kid from Montana that you've never heard of, so it may catch you by surprise in week one, two, or three when he starts doing big things. He flew all the way up to number 40 overall in these rankings. He's our number eight overall transfer portal-wide receiver. And to be honest with you, these are my words, not the committee's words. I don't know that we really have an accurate gauge of where to put him. I think he's properly listed, but it could be that we get to the early portion of November and we say, you know, the the Montana kid that came down here uh, to Nebraska, boy, man, they should have ranked him higher in retrospect. Who knows? That may be what we say in November. Notre Dame, to wrap this up, did something on their offensive line that may pay huge dividends, and it doesn't look like they did a whole lot, but if you're an Irish fan, you understand how imperative it was they do something there. Now, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be a massive year-in, year-out, pursue-the-transfer-portal-at-any-cost type of program, but they needed to, and they were strategic about it, so they went and got Kane Madden. 
he, I think, has 31 overall starts. He came from Marshall, which was about as much as the rest of their guys had combined coming back. They're replacing like three or four starters in the offensive line. So they got Madden, and when you combine him with a couple of guys they got from the high school ranks that should be able to play, let's hope so, because they're going to need to play right away, this is a big focus for Notre Dame. We were talking about that Notre Dame-Wisconsin game a second ago. That's going to be one of the early gauges of how ready Notre Dame's offensive line is because you're going to be seeing one on the other side of the field. It's going to be a line of scrimmage game. I mean, that's what football is in general, but some games more than others. That's where you'll see whether Notre Dame going into the transfer portal and the high school ranks, that recruiting player development, does it pay off? Because that's one area that all Notre Dame fans have been focused on. And also I wanted to hit a guy instead of just a team. Ty Chandler, I talked about him two months ago. Ty Chandler is my early pick for a guy that just nailed this thing, ended up in the perfect spot. I think Ty Chandler is just like Eric Gray, really. They both left Tennessee. One of them went to Oklahoma and Eric Gray. The other goes to North Carolina and Ty Chandler. I think it's a godsend for both of them. Ty Chandler's played a lot of football, and he's dropped into a situation where they're replacing a couple of thousand-plus yard rushers. They've got their entire offensive line back pretty much at uh, North Carolina. It's just a ready-made situation. It's a much more favorable offense for his skill set. So Ty Chandler, I was talking to Trey Scott the other day, and it's like finishing each other's sentences. I think he feels the same way I do about it. Ty Chandler's a guy that I would really watch because it's about fit. Fit, fit, fit. I, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head whether Daquan Newkirk is ranked in our top 100, but Newkirk's a guy who went to Florida, not rated all that highly, but yet that coaching staff says, hey, he's a good fit. It's about fit. Fit is the name of the game in the transfer portal. All right, I want to wrap the show up by talking about a state that we have not talked about a whole lot, but in totality, you need to pay attention to this. I mean, if you're a college football fan now, I want you to think about what I'm about to say. The state of Mississippi, your initial thoughts are a couple of programs in that state at the SEC level that usually don't contend at the national level, so unless I'm a fan of those teams, I don't pay a whole lot of attention. That may be what most of you think. The state of Mississippi could be the most fascinating state in all of college football this year. Think about the two-year transitional period we've had here. If I were to have frozen you in the cryo chamber that we use hypothetically sometimes on the show, the last thing that you remember as I thaw you out right here in the studio is you remember Matt Luke and you remember Joe Moorhead and you probably remember yawning. All due respect to those guys. Great position coaches. Just probably weren't ready for the head coaching spotlight quite yet. Well, as you're heating up over here from your cryo freeze the past two years, imagine your look on your face when I tell you, oh, the Matt Luke, Joe Moorhead days, those are gone. We went and got Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. How's that sound? You're on the first thing, smoke into the Magnolia State. That's how it sounds. So think about what this year could, could include because I, I'm a believer that you don't have to look at the SEC West and just say, oh, it's Alabama, no one else matters. That's a myth. It's a fact that Alabama is the best program in college football. It's a fact they set the pace. It's a fact they're doing what no other team in the history of college football has done. But even having said that, over the last 11 years, I think they've won the division six times and not won it five times. It's an every other year situation on average. And that's why I'm not predicting either one of these to make it to Atlanta. But what I'm saying is this is not a sport. It hasn't been, even in this remarkable run for Alabama, where you could just afford to automatically stamp them every year. It seems that way. I pick them to win the West every year because I think they're the best team in the West every year. They don't always win the division. The best team doesn't always win the division. It's a crazy sport. 
even when you recruit like they do, it's a crazy sport. So even if you seed the West, okay, for argument's sake, even if you seed the West to Alabama, the second point is still valid. And you know this if you watch Late Kick. We are not a show that defines mattering as does it pertain to the college football playoff? If yes, it matters. If no, it doesn't. We don't think like that. There's a lot that's great about this sport that doesn't necessarily have automatic playoff implications on it. So consider the possibilities for both of these programs this year. At quarterback alone, you got Matt Corral, and we know that, at Ole Miss. And again, that's a guy who, at the very least, to start the season, is in the conversation as being the best in the SEC, to start the season. Now, once we see what Bryce Young is, once we see what JT Daniels brings, I saw somebody... I thought ridiculously put Emory Jones way up there the other day. Well, listen, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. But once we see what these guys can do, then it could be a different story. But right now, I've seen Matt Corral. I hadn't seen a lot of these guys. So there's, there, there's still a lot to be decided. Ole Miss has got a commodity that's proven at quarterback is what I'm saying. And at Mississippi State, it's Will Rogers that's going to be listed in all your preview magazines. But then you're going to learn the name Jack Abraham, I would imagine at some point this year, as the transfer from Southern Miss, who... If we judge Mike Leach based on his history, is going to end up being the quarterback in the Mike Leach system that just pops out of nowhere and you say, where did Mike Leach find him? Well, I'm telling you now, here in, what is it, July 15th, Colin? The answer is Southern Miss, out of nowhere. If you watch the spring game, which probably a dozen of you and no more did, but if you watch the spring game, you saw him. He can play. That guy can play. He didn't come in there to just be a backup either. That guy can play. Competition is very healthy. So quarterback alone is very intriguing here. And then you take into account both head coaches have track records specifically tied to developing that position. Lane Kiffin's done it before he knows how to do it. Mike Leach has certainly done it at multiple stops. He knows how to do it. The Ole Miss defensive upgrade, I think significantly, is another big story to watch here. It's, again, the difference in them going into games thinking we need to score 40-plus to win versus thinking... We need to score 30. Let's get 30-31. We feel good there. They don't have to be a great defense, uh, but they do need to improve themselves from 38 points per game given up on average. That's what they do need to improve on. So it goes from that 38 or some odd points per game to fill in the blank. Be a good poll question. I guess it's fill in the blank. How, how high can they rise defensively? Uh, because they, I think they upgrade all three levels of their defense. It's how much do they upgrade and collectively what's the product on the field? Now, with Mississippi State, I think it's an overall team thing. There's not like one position unit I circle and say, well, their entire season rides on that. You could play it that way, but I think in totality terms for Mississippi State, what my mind goes back to in a two-win season last year, what my mind goes back to is not that LSU game in week one. It's the Georgia game they lost, barely. They lost, they were huge underdogs. I think it was over, it was between three and four touchdown underdogs to Georgia, and they go into Athens with under 50 scholarship players, and they battle Georgia right to the end. I think they lost by a touchdown. And Will Rogers was the quarterback that day, and uh, Georgia could not run it on him to save their life. It was one of the craziest stat lines you'll ever see. I mean, I think we spent like 10 minutes just reading the rushing statistics on the show. After that game, so they lost that one. They lost the next week. They lost the week after that, but they were playing their best football. And then they capped at the end of the season with a big win. Point spread was, I think, pick them, and they, they, they houseboated uh, Missouri. First time I ever used that phrase on the show. The reason I make that point is because sometimes what is perceived as a weakening of the team, i.e. transfers, guys quitting, 
is actually a strengthening of the team at its core. You're, you, we, with Mike Leach, make no mistake, he's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way when he comes in. You're going to have a lot of defectors. He knew that. If he, were, if he would have had to have put his own money on an over-under transfer, he would have just taken the over. At any number, he would have taken the over. He knew guys were going to leave. He had to have it happen. It's no coincidence that when their roster looked the weakest at the end of the year, they played their best football. Now, do you want to continue to roll into games in the Southeastern Conference with 20 or 25 less scholarship players than you're allowed to have? No, of course not. But it's a process that takes a little bit of time. But I say all that to say, whatever you expect from Mississippi State, there could be, there could be a little hardening or gelling that's happening there internally from the guys that actually bought in and actually wanted to be there that proves itself on the field this year. Because when you look at Ole Miss or Mississippi State, they're both going to be favored to start the season 3-0. and Mississippi State will be favored to be 3-0 and when they play LSU. Ole Miss will be favored to be 3-0 and when they play Alabama. And if you just hit pause before those two games, and both of them are 3-0, and you already will have the nation's attention. If either one of them pulls what would be pretty sizable upset or upsets that day, then you'll really grab the nation's attention. But even if they both lose that day, there's a big difference in playing competitive ball in the SEC West versus uh, 66 to 3 and 62 to 7. I mean, those were the, the two scores for Alabama Ole Miss after that two year stretch where Hugh Freeze and company beat Bama. So, my point is competitive football will be played in the state of Mississippi this year. Upsets will probably be pulled that you don't expect by a team or multiple teams in the state of Mississippi this year. But at the very least, it's going to be a fun state to watch. Almost sounds like we're talking about high school football. We're talking about SEC football. That's going to conclude the show tonight. Uh, Subscribe to the channel. That's what I meant to ask you to do. Our subscription numbers look really good on the YouTube channel, but I wanted to give you this stat. 72% of people who watch our videos are still unsubscribed. I don't know why, because it's free. It really helps us keep the show free. So I humbly ask, subscribe to the channel. Go to your sister's YouTube account, log in, subscribe for her as well. Make sure you log out afterwards and just hit thumbs up on the videos. That's all we ask. Again, everything's free. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We have not even begun. We got a bunch of announcements coming, so just hang tight. We are less than two months away from kickoff in week one. For Director Collins. For our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate signing off. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Sunday, and God bless.